Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk USA. Are you tired of waiting for change? Tune into Blog Talk USA. Let your voice be heard on Blog Talk USA. Terrorism. What about the quiet racism? Dividing among ourselves. Somebody's crying for help. Heaven is listening. Heaven is watching. Heaven knows. And they may not play this on the radio. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Ombudsman Press Show. I'm your host, Bishop L.J. Gillis, and I am excited, excited. What a beautiful day. We have the sun going down in sunny California, and I can say (laughs) that this is going to be a beautiful, beautiful trip. Uh, We're down in Laguna Beach uh, watching the sunset. Uh, It's an amazing day here in SoCal, as they get it. Uh, we have a guest tonight, an NFL uh, alumni from the Chargers, uh, right out of, or should I say, straight out of Compton. Uh, Mike Willie, I want to welcome you to the show. How are you? I'm pretty good. How's it going? It's going wonderful. I can't complain. If I did, it wouldn't do me any good. I'm sitting here watching a great big spider in a spider web and the most beautiful sunset that I've seen in a very, very long time uh, here in Laguna Beach at my favorite spot. Yeah, so let's, let's get down to the brass tacks. So we put up on our website a, a most magnificent, uh, well-thought-out, well-planned, uh, well-orchestrated commercial that was put on. Um, tell us a little bit about the commercial and why you did it? Oh, the commercial with Banana Republic. That commercial, that was a, that was just something that Banana Republic they, they was using their platform to, you know, amplify, amplify, amplify voices and you know just give people a platform to, to speak how they feel. And I took that opportunity, and they gave me the opportunity to, you know, give my vision on things and introduce myself. A, a little small version, of course, but. That was just a dope little deal where, you know, they gave me an opportunity to show how I felt about the community of Compton and how I felt about my just my whole mission and my whole history of what I did and what I'm going to do. So besides that, that was just a kind of a small introduction of, you know, what I have to offer and what I've been through, you know. So um, 
the commercial, and those of you who would like to see the commercial, we put it up on our Facebook page, the Chappelle J. Gillery. We also have it on Blog Talk USA. And the 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 whole campaign that uh, Bernard Republic had was to, to highlight community leaders, people that are doing something in their community, people who emerge from uh, communities that most people would say what good could come from them. Compton has been producing a number of people uh, that have strived towards excellence for many, many, many years. Uh, and this is way before the uh, Serena Williams and uh, Venus Williams. Uh, we've had people to come uh, live in the city of Compton and aspire to be great. Uh, Mike oh, Willie's story, Mark Willie's story uh, was one that we, we, we gravitated to because this young man, without uh, a famous uh, coach, without a, a famous trainer, without uh, a, uh, a dad who was in the NFL himself, uh, without all of the things that, that usually is a part of the narrative and story of, of football greats, uh, he was able to get himself out of high school, into college, and then uh, on to the NFL training camp and was able to secure himself a uh, jersey, uh, a position, not just with one team, but with two, uh, with nothing more than the determination and with ambition, hard work, and a dream that he refused to allow to have been deferred. Mike, when you were growing up in the city of Compton, was things as bad as, as people said they were? Well, yeah, and for the, for the most part, heck yeah, you know, but it's just if your mom knew a certain structure, she can keep you out of the way. My mom had a plan, and she kept me out of the way. She kept me in the sports. She found something that I held so close to my heart, and that controlled me. So playing football right. was was my buyout. You know, it's usually gang banging or playing sports, and it's really that. You know, literally hundred ninety five percent, hundred percent of my other friends are going to, you know, they're going to be that way in the city of Compton growing up, uh, when I was growing up. You know, so now, either you're going to play sports or you're going to gang bang. But or like Roddy Rich, uh, uh, and YG well, and others, rap right. So let and, me ask you this: but they're, so but they're 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 rapping from you know from the gangbang. They're being the voice of the you know. Okay, so I, I want people to understand that it is as real as it gets. It's 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 there, and if you're living in a suburb where you don't have to worry about getting shot. You don't have to worry about all of the things that are actually going on in the neighborhood all the time. Uh, you don't have those distractions. You were able to rise above those distractions. We've seen it in the movie um, Boys in the Hood, the football player who has a brother that get caught up, so he gets caught up. And when you talk about Ricky, right. But when you talk about your mother keeping you in sports and making you focus on that versus getting friends that could get you caught up, is that what you're saying? That's definitely that was a plan. So that was a plan. That was a plan. Now and 
you know, I thought you it was something different. Okay. I thought it, I thought it, I thought it was something different when I was always on on punishment for no reason, but it was really yeah. her strategic way of saying, no, you keep your butt in the house until football practice, and you go to football practice, then go to school, and you know, going to school in Long Beach and being away from the city and having a, a different type of educational programs going on, being at Wilson, that put me on a different platform to understand what's going on in my community. So being able to understand that aggressiveness from my city of Compton, then going to Long Beach where they're aggressive on um, academics, you know, they're, you know, honor this, honor that. So having that other side, that made me use my aggression and my information and get to my NFL goal. And that, that happened, you know, so just knowing that much being back in the city after a professional run and getting to tell people about how I got there and saying, hey, come this way. Just go this way now. Just use that same type of effort towards your goal. You know, just being able to do that, that's that's what I love and I value. So, you know. So you also, you, you mentor kids. You, 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 you try to expose the kids to uh, the outside of those boundaries, those walls outside so that yeah. they can see. How important is that, getting kids <laughs> into – uh, the suburbs and other places so they can see things. Man, boundaries. So boundaries hold you know hold people back. So having someone that crossed boundaries and achieved goals that were seeming unachievable, you know, having them come back and say, hey, it, it's greener on the other side. Let's keep moving past the right. obstacles and past the no's and past the don'ts and past the don't make senses. And that's all that right. is. You know. Right. Now, I'm here, as I said, in – uh, Laguna Beach, and there are people walking freely with their families. And that is the one thing that I, when I spoke with your mom and her, and her husband, and we've, you know, met on several occasions, is family is always first. You, 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 take, you bring family first when you're dealing with little Mike, and the family means a lot to you. Why don't you expound on the importance that you inherently uh, receive when you're growing up, that family is always important. Yeah, just knowing family helps helps your vision and helps your mission. That's that's what I, I took out of my whole you know my whole journey because my mom was always there to be there at my football games and support me. And my family was always there to be at my games and you know my friends were always at my games and you know it was just always a collective of loved ones that supported. So I knew it was about the family and about the love that was you know, put upon you to, you know, go do what you want to do. You know, that backbone to say, hey, even if you fail, we're still here. So me knowing I had that, I knew, you know, I had no fear. I would, I could run into a brick wall because, you know, as long as I know if I'm about to die, they go, at least my family will save me or try to save me. So just understanding family is so important and it's just helping someone know they got something to fall on to help them get back up. That's the whole thing of family. And, that's really just someone paying attention and understanding, you know, this person is a person and they need help and don't judge them. So really that's what I figured that that was the main key to my success is my family. And that's why I cherish, you know, working as a family and I lead on moving as a family for, you know, the, the lead factor for success. So that's, that's what I would, I would, I would elaborate on the family with that. So, my pleasure. Uh, 
Mike, I want I want you to tell me a little bit about what you think about those NFL players that don't give back to their communities. You are in a, a unique situation that you know, uh, you know, you go back to Compton, you're embraced, you're a native son of Compton, uh, and you've been able to do a lot with uh, the the Chargers, going into the schools, giving kids footballs, autographing, you know, doing those type of things. But what is your position about those individuals who get up, get out, and never come back? Well, you, you never can put it on the person that get gets it and then get out because they're looking for a healthier living. They're looking for a safer environment to raise their families in. So, therefore, I never judge, you know, the athlete that doesn't know know who to give his money to in his city. That's a legit situation. You know, knowing which nonprofit to even deal with, which nonprofits are even working. You know, so that's already too much besides having to deal with their own situation of living and, and having a safe place for their family. So all I would say is to the athletes that that don't do it, all they have to do is be, a, you know, see a good structure and have good outlets to give their money to. And that's all that about. That's all that's, that this is about, having a, a safe place to give your money where they're really going to be providing these, you know, solutions for these problems. And do you think it's an obligation that, that I want to interrupt you? Do you think it's an obligation that is a necessity? Do you think it's a necessity to give back your time and money to where you grew up? I think it is a necessity because you have to give back. That's how the city grows. It creates a product, and the product must bring something back to to at least inform that you know you can make it. You know, you got to bring something back from. You know, you got to bring something back to the city to help people grow. You know, it's all about a cycle of things. You got to have a cycle. And, yes, everybody's entitled to come back to their hometown. Okay, so I'm going to be tough here. Uh, Not only entitled, but but, but I think, like you, I I believe that it's an obligation. What do you feel about the people that are not from the city uh, taking advantage of the city for their own personal uh, wealth, their own personal celebrity, their own personal families, you know, and not giving back to the community itself. Yeah, I'm I'm for. I don't I don't really bother even, you know, put energy on people that want to just take from Compton and use Compton as a platform to grow with, you know, without you know to do the thing and on their own mission and vision. Yeah. But all I say is. Yeah no illegal business, and we're not sucking from Compton to make it weaker. If you're going to use Compton, you're going to use it in a good name. You know, we're not here to worry about who's uh, using our, our name, do this and do that. But you, one thing you want to do when you come to Compton and trying to do business with Compton, we're not doing no illegal business. You know, we're going to keep things on a cycle, and we're going to make things public record so that people can know what's going on. You know, we want to, you know, eliminate that that unknown of, oh, Compton is – so corrupt and this and that. It's, it's, it's just yeah. we just once we keep it in a family vibe and we understand that hey, you know people's want, people gonna do what they're gonna do. But one thing we're not gonna do as a city of Compton is do illegal business. And one thing we're gonna do is focus on the problems and figure out solutions. So therefore, you know, I don't even think too much out the box when it comes to stuff that you know bring us in a direction which I'm not going. So I think that it's important for um, communities to be a community. And when you're a community, 
you mentioned the nonprofit organizations. Uh, these are organizations that generally don't pay taxes. Uh, we have probably about, you know, a thousand churches <clears throat> within the ten square miles radius of uh, in the city of Compton and surrounding, and none of them have to pay taxes. And I've looked, and you know, from January to 2020 to now, uh, there are a few churches, just a few that are realizing that they have to give, you know, back to the community. I mean, there have been a number of organizations such as Ombudsman International, the National Ombudsman. Uh, there have been a, a few other organizations that have done feeding, uh, giving away food. You help participate in giving food to seven different cities, uh, Carson, Compton, Paramount, Long Beach, Bellflower, uh, parts of Watts. Uh, with our organization. And, you know, when we first started doing that, those feeding programs, donating food, water to veterans, to senior citizens that were shut in, who were cooperative, who stayed in their home when, when they were told not to go out. Um, and uh, when I look at these nonprofits who are supposed to be helping the community, not contributing, not supporting, and I'm thinking to myself, <clears throat> what is the purpose of your nonprofit? And when I called you up and asked you, hey, come on, I want you to help, you never said how much you're going to pay me, uh, how much time you're going to need me to get away from what I'm doing uh, because I need it's to bigger than that. Yeah. And I think that everyone should realize that that's what community is. That's what community is. We have given away more than three tons of food for free. We've given away 19 pallets of cases of water. We've given away more than $200,000 in buying food to give away into the community, to which we have receipts for. I've never made that public. And one of the reasons why I didn't make it public is because many of the people that were giving away food were doing it for the publicity. And when I asked for the help of you and the NFL and, and, and others to come out and help, we we didn't we didn't tell you that we were going to give free exposure. It was going to be for publicity. I found no need to give it and do it as a publicity stunt. And mm -hmm. I think that if more churches and more people just did it for the strength of, of, of community, it would mean much more. I mean, we have churches that are and that have been uh, open with their doors open for 30 or 40 years. Every Sunday, 52 Sundays in the year, receiving money from their congregation and other uh, uh, financial sources, but yet they didn't find an obligation to give food, water, and money to the poor, to the people that need it uh, in their community. And that's the issue that we have. We'll quickly move on to this uh, pandemic. Uh, a lot of people don't look at it, and uh, I've been one who has um, been caught between a rock and a hard place. 
Um, and, and Greg knows what I mean. Uh, I'm a Republican, a registered Republican, who happens to support Biden. Uh, I am a Republican who believes that I prefer to help people grow a garden versus me continue to give them money on a debit uh, EBT card uh, of uh, $200 that's not going to feed them the whole year. Uh, you talk about a garden that you would like to open up to give people fresh fruit and vegetables, to give them a balanced diet, to which they wouldn't have to pay for, and they can get fresh vegetables. Tell me a little bit of what made you decide that it was important to substitute the diet of people in need in the community uh, across Los Angeles County. So there's always knowing and raised raising Compton where the part of uh, the farm area in Compton, my, my, my brothers, Brandy, the Compton Cowboys, you know, Kira and everybody, just being being raised around the Cowboys, it, it always put me in the ranch vibes when I did go over there. So just always knowing that and then growing up and knowing being around ranch vibes and fresh fruits and vegetables is, is how you stay healthy and how you stay, you know, they moving and thinking they'll be, I, I bought into it, just my lifestyle of it. So I, I went into my, we had some land. I went into, you know, oh, shoot, we got to have our own fresh fruits and vegetables and, you know, supply our people with these organic fruits and organic nutrients that can help us grow and help us think better, help our classrooms get better, you know, help our kids, you know, get the right sales sparked up. You know, we got to feed our, our, our kids and feed our people so they can think better and make the better decisions moving through daily lives. So understanding that, man, I, I, I just focused on that and I, understanding that. I know we have to bring, have farms, but we need farmer markets. We need consistent farmer markets bringing fresh fruits and vegetables. And why do I have to go way to Long Beach over there or to Carson? You feel me just to go get some fruits and vegetables? Shoot, every other day we should have a, a, a farmer's market going in the city of Compton, you know, consistent. You know, consistency is what we're looking for in the city. I understand that. I'm born in the city. I was, I went, I had to walk to the train station, train to Long Beach, then catch the bus. You feel me? So I understand the lows and the highs. And then I went to the NFL, so I had a whole different visual. And then I'm in the, got my driver, own driver, and I'm chilling. So I understand the ups and the lows, and I understand what we need. And having fresh fruits and vegetables is understood. That's what we need in the city. I'm like, my mom has always got to drive far and do this. So. The farmers market is beautiful, but having them fresh farms with all the the, the fruits you can think about and the vegetables you can think about, that's where it's gonna start from because we have we have to have a source. You know, knowing that Compton has good soil for farming, that why wouldn't we have so many farms available? Having so many nonprofits dealing with them and prepping them and you know making sure our garden foundation is growing. You know, so besides that, I was just I'm just in love with living long and being healthy and being able to run 10 miles through Compton, you know what I'm saying? You know, I want to be able to do that. So that's why I enlighten people on being healthy and having farms and, you know, buying land and looking at the farming aspect aspect of things. So, yeah, you know, it's all about the agriculture. It's all about, you know, life, nature, <laughs> always. Do you think if more people would just do their little part, no matter what that little part is, and contribute to a better 
community, that we would be a better community there in the city of Compton. Because many of us who moved out, we recognize that though it is our birthplace, it is no longer our place to live. And after Pops passed away, I gave good thought to whether I wanted to keep the house or move around. Uh, it's been four years, so I dedicated out of my life to make sure that he uh, passed uh, with the least amount of pain and to uh, to have a better life. However, when I look at Compton now, as it is, it is not a place that I want to call home. And it's sad to say that, but I, I don't want to hear that ambulance, the helicopters. I don't want to hear constant chaos. And I don't believe that um, you owe that to the place that you were born. I believe that you owe giving back so that individuals who are there uh, that want a better life can emerge from there. But you're willing to come back and be an example. Tell me why. Yeah, and I I say it's not that we're supposed to do it and it's like, okay, everybody that make it, give back to your hometown. But I'm just saying if you make it and you have friends that live in your city, if you communicate with people that's from your hometown and y'all have a connection, give back to that city to give people opportunity. That's all it's about. It's not about all the dollars in your account. It's about who you love at the end of the day. If you have a million dollars, who are you gonna give to? Who are you gonna bring around to share with anyways? So, and usually when you're broke, you got all the friends. You know what I'm saying? Because you gotta be connecting with people. You gotta be, you know, talking to everybody and stuff. But be social and everything like that. But all I'm saying is, it's it's all about helping the next ones up. Because in divine order, when you help people, it always comes back to you, and that's a fact. And I learned by experience because I didn't have. The, the big pockets when it came to my mama raising me, you know, I had to really be nice and I had to really learn that being kind and acts of kindness was the way to succeed. And that was the leading factor. And you're still being kind. You are, um, you're being kind and I appreciate you speaking in the way that you're speaking, but I, I need to dig a little and probe a little harder. Um, you're my godson, so I know you. And I just told you that I love the city. And after mm-hmm. ha- having served two times uh, on different uh, commissions there as a commissioner, uh, after being an advisor to the mayor, uh, several mayors there in the city of Compton and council persons, uh, and, and loving the city, I don't love it that much to do what you're doing and to actively come back and 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 continue to give. Now, our age difference, there's an and age I will ask difference. Why. I will ask why. I will ask why you don't like the city. Oh, but... because, because I've given. I'm like Mayor Hennies now. Now I understand why he moved to Texas. I have mm-hmm. given and fought my fight. Now it's and my that's time why the next one's up. That's why the next one's up. The next one's up. And I'm giving you the time, and I'm giving you the advice, and I will always be accessible. But I talked about, and, and that's why I want you, I don't know if you, you know, I sent you a text message. I want you to read it because you're not reading it. 
this is your moment to say why it meant that much to you. Because I'm telling my listeners, damn it, it don't mean that much to me. Well, you know, I came back. I came back because I love it that damn much, where it's nothing more important than helping my my loved ones, my friends, people that I call friends, you know, giving them an opportunity to see. If I I done made it out and I, I had my fun and had a lot of fun, I can dedicate my time to help build a platform, help build a core of people that care, help build a core of people that have money to give to nonprofits, have money to do the things we need. If it's about money, shoot, we're going to have money and we'll have consistency, and we'll add that to it. But we're definitely going to, you know, come with the work. You know, I love it that much where nothing, having fun and going to the, the club way out here and doing all that is fun, but me being on the junior chamber of commerce when I'm fresh out the NFL, and grooming some stuff just to be, oh, we're next. We can be taught by the council and we're next. That was exciting to me. That was the next NFL for me, understanding the, right. the documents that can help us, you well, know, help our, our that's that's what I want people to that's hear. That's what I love. To know your passion. And I want them to understand the sacrifice. We've had a number of NFL and NBA people to go into civic uh, life and to build a nonprofit. I was so proud of Deion Sanders, what he did in Dallas. And people didn't realize that when he was coaching, uh, you know, at, the, at these charter uh, uh, schools and opening up these charter schools, what a sacrifice would be made for him. And, you know, I want people to realize that when, when, when someone leaves off the field, the world is open to them as it was to OJ and so many others, the world is open to you to do anything that you want to do. So to go back to your city where you were born and to give back, you, I, I take my hat out to you, you know, yeah, because there if, was, I can, uh, there, if I could butt in, it, 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 you, you know that you have it all when you get out the NFL, but you don't know that right away. You go through a, you go through a down, a spiraling downfall. Of what am I good at? What am I? What can I do? I'm used to crashing heads every morning and waking up on program at 5:30 in the morning before a meeting. What do I do? So before that crossover, it is a a wave of, you know, kind of discouragement and oh, do can I do this myself now? This this everything's yourself. So after getting over that hump, oh, it's a glorifying moment because now you know you already know I got what it takes to be energetic and aggressive and be precise and have direction and know what teammates to have around me, but it's just knowing what to do. So, yeah, every athlete is a perfect candidate to be a leader in the community, any low-income community, any community that's trying to grow because they have that fire, you know. And then once we have direction, we, we go with it. We move with the force. So that's what that is, easy. And now, I love my city. you love your city? I love my city. That's why I do what I do. That's why I'm here in the city. You know, I, I love the city of Compton. I, I love the fact that no matter where I am in the world and I say I'm from the city of Compton, uh, I don't have to say near anywhere. They know where Compton is. You know, Compton is where it's at. You know, that's why you're here in Compton, so you can help young brothers and, you know, enlighten them with your history yeah. and let them know, you know. I decided... <laughs> that I'm going to enjoy the rest of what God has given me. 
I'm going to continue to, to be accessible to those individuals in Compton. But when Pops passed away, I made a decision that I've given what I can give. Uh, it is your turn. It is others' turns to uh, take the helms and to continue to be vigilant. Um, I didn't understand when Mayor Hennings, when he would say that I've done my part. I've done my part. Uh, I participated in roundtable discussions in 91 uh, after Natasha Hollins was assassinated by Sun Jung Ju. I participated in roundtable discussions after the Rodney King beating and the, uh, the riots in 92. I participated uh, in a number of uh, discussions and panels, uh, and I have continued to, as the Ambassador General, to go across this and around and in throughout this nation, fighting for equality for our people. One of the things that I've learned in, in my travels, um, as a member of the United Nations Association of Pastors and Bishops and Clergy, and being a part of other roundtables, uh, I can't continue to only be concerned with the city that I was born in. We have towns and cities that are just like uh, the city of Compton all over this nation. Uh, Bishop Zachary uh, Barrage showed me a woman who goes all over uh, the world. Uh, she was in Belize and showing the poverty and the need. We've seen the need in Haiti. We've seen the need in Puerto Rico. We've seen the need in Africa. We see that the need is everywhere. And I would like to continue my work uh, and make them as accessible to those people all over the world, uh, yeah. not just in the city to which I was born and raised. Uh, I think that at some point, we need to support the young replacement. And that's why you're my godson. And that's why I am going to continue to support the city via you and other young people that are going to step up uh, to the plate. And, uh, it's our turn. It's, 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 it's our turn. It's our turn. Exactly. We, it's, it's our turn for our state for the, the R's that, that are listening to their grandparents and listening to the structure of how it does run correctly. You know, but we do have our strong points on our creative side and knowing how things have evolved, but we know how to connect those dots because we are interested in making a better way. So those guys are next. We are next. Those women and, you know, kings and queens are next. We're the ones that have to lead the way and, you know, keep structure and keep the communication between, you know, the senior citizens to the youth and, and then that middle age in between, obviously. But, you know, time will tell, and we will get stronger, and things, you know, will lead the way. You know, it's just about who will lead the way. I, I'm here. I, I'm just, I'm just, um, um, wow. Yeah, so everything will work out. When you look at um, when you look at things where they are right now in, in terms of the United States, and you see the, the lack of leadership, you know. And when I mean leadership, I mean if the people are listening to you, 
and following you, then you're a leader. If you're out there, but nobody's listening, you're just taking a breeze walk by yourself. Many of the things that I've tried to do uh, this year, uh, I was able to get that information from one of my mentors, uh, which we've had on the show many times, Big Gregory. And um, the insurance for police is something that he said many years ago. He said it here on this show, and he also uh, said it nationwide. And now we are trying to build that infrastructure here in the state of California to make it mandatory that police officers uh, uh, to to, um, make it a mandatory necessity in order for you to be a police officer is to have liability insurance, just like police officers should have it like lawyers and doctors. You malpractice, you will then uh, uh, have to pay a higher premium until they decide that they're tired of paying for your indiscretions and you no longer are able to have insurance and you're no longer able to be a police officer. You're out there with those young people, those millennials who are saying enough is enough. What do you think uh, should be done to to bridge the gap between the uh, police departments and the millennials? Yeah, definitely we have to touch bases on that because, Sue, millennials, you got to help us grow, and and you got to understand we make mistakes, and you got to know a crazy mistake from a minor mistake, and, Besides that, connecting that dot, them giving us opportunity to have a citizen for responsibility enforcement, you know, that'll be a sort of way to bridge the gap. Besides of having them speak and understand us as a board, you know, create these conversations within the department, shared department with the community, besides having that consistent, you know, creating a force where we could, you know, have citizens holding people, holding the police responsible for their enforcement. So having a good structure on how to even do that. Because dealing with the security surveillance is top priority. You know, living in Compton is not crazy with the gang violence anymore, and it needs to stop being treated as it, 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 as it, like it is still, and it's not like that. So besides that, them connecting with the, the people of the community, us giving the opportunity to surveillance them while they surveillance us, that will be a good, fair trade. But I know everything will work out. You know, the Sheriff's Department is there to serve and protect the community, but, you know, history says with company, you know, it used to be turned up. So, you know, they kind of have those thoughts and, and sometimes can think the wrong thing when it's just an easy pullover. So when given an even playing field and we can su- surveillance the police officers in the city of Compton ourselves, I think that'll be a good way to, you know, get some type of eye on the crowd where we can, you know, get some, some type of security going where we can surveillance our police officers, you know, because we don't need – it's easy solutions for those problems. Do you think that it's time for open dialogue between the police officers, unions, and the people that are being, that are suffering uh, in the community? Yes, I think so. Do you think millennials see things differently than the, their predecessors? Is millennials do think different, but they can understand. Do you, well, I'm sure because they're going through it. They're going through the same, but it's the same thing. They think it's the same. They think the same. They know structure. We know we have to follow laws. It's just 
maybe the example for them, maybe, I don't know, it's, it's some type of miscommunication. There's a miscommunication between there, so we have to communicate with each other. When you're not understanding the language, you have to sit down and talk it out, really. You know, we have to right. talk it out, the solution. I don't, I don't, one of the most brilliant things that, I, that I've ever heard is when one of the founders of the Black Lives Matter say, we don't believe, nor have we ever believed that the defunding of the police departments would, would come to pass. It was just a narrative that was used to bring them to the table to make them realize the people who were suffering at the hands of the fugacious mercenaries needed to have a break. And the defunding was no more than a 10% uh, deduction from the multi-billion dollar budget that is in one police department in, 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 in uh, Los Angeles. So they took 10% of a $5 billion budget from the LAPD to make, uh, to give money to community organizations that are actually on the boots on the ground in the community. And we think that's important. Hey, how are you? Go ahead. Sorry, uh, say that one more time. I couldn't hear you. Do you think it's important to fund community organizations that are out on the with boots on the ground in the community? You said, do do I think it's it's right to fund? Do you think that it's important to give money to organizations that are out there in the community, working within the community, that are not law enforcement? But settle and 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 causes uh, disagreements that are taking place to be resolved. Yeah, and, I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't agree with. I, I don't agree with things just not being handled in the right order. You know what I'm saying? So if it comes down to a police department, a sheriff's department, security office, I need things run the right way. It only makes sense. We need these run the right way as a community. You know, you got protocol, you know, you know, structure. So, you know, that comes down to the oversight commission, you know, the people that's oversight, you know, oversight these people that's, that's doing these jobs, who we got in these these jobs, what, 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 what can we say about them? We need to judge them before they get these positions because there are moments where you got to deal with certain situations, but you got to stick to protocol. And a lot of people are breaking protocol because it's, you know, they're not moving with love and they're not moving like they're dealing with maybe their cousin or somebody else's cousin that they know. So, once we get the 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 urgency for the oversight commission, the urgency to to give a care, you know, you know, really care and really press this in uh, uh, real feasible hours, you know, really get the job done, then that's when we'll get action and we'll get results. Well, maybe I should maybe I should, maybe I should rephrase it rephrase so that it. you know specifically what I'm speaking of. Yeah. So there's a gentleman by the name of Coach Ward. He is the founder of uh, Chapter 2, which was a gang intervention program where if, if there's a shooting in L.A. or Watts, they respond, they try to resolve the issue along with the police uh, as an intervention to stop more gang violence. Because usually what would happen is if there's a shooting over here in Tragnew, and then they go back and they shoot over here in Hoover, and then they go back and forth, it just continues to go back and forth. Mm-hmm. So they try to go in and resolve the issue because 
all the police can do is arrest people. Mm-hmm. So, so we have these middle we have these middlemen going in and and stopping it themselves. Well, you absolutely. This is something that within the police reform in Los Angeles, they took ten percent of the police budget and they are funding these oh. programs from the people that are in so the community. I, so can I ask a question? Who, yeah. Where are these people? What, what which people are picked for this duty? There are people that have chosen themselves because they're in the community, and they, if the gang members don't know them, they can't talk to them. So these guys, that's the wrong term right there. That's the wrong term. Why wouldn't you have elected officials from each gang or each, you know, section, whatever you want to call it, you know, and then you get real reputables. You get real, you know, information going across, and you can stop real gang violence. It's not about acting and putting people in place that have no pull to these people or these young homies growing up. You know, they need to see a familiar face. We have these gang prevention programs, but what if we show these gang gang prevention programs some, you know, some interest, some urgency, you know, some oversight? Because those are the ones, you know, with the badass little kids running around wanting to be from this set and that set. So why wouldn't we tap into to what we can help them with? Because half of them, shit, going to a damn, you know, going somewhere to hang out. You know, they just needed some love. That's all it's about. All right. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, maybe, so what I see with that, to answer your let's question, I said. Let's move on. We're going to go on to the creative side. There is a need that we believe that uh, when young people who are rappers, uh, piano yeah. players, Saxophone players. Uh, we had a Dr. Dre to donate a substantial amount of money to build a amphitheater inside the New Compton High School. Uh, and yeah. when that Compton High School is built, there will be a a lab, if you will, where young people in the city of Compton can go and make music and do things in uh, the area of showing their artistry. You think it's important that we have an outlet for individuals uh, that have talent that is in the arts? Yeah, that's 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 a part of community development right there. You know, having a platform where where the youth can go grow. You know, where they can go, you know, spit on the you know rap on the mic and record in the studio. You know, go dance in the dance studio, do ballet in the dance studio. You know. Vice versa, go technology or even go uh, adventure zone where I can learn about this, that, and the third. I can learn about the desert, the the space, you know, the ocean, you know, things that can enlighten us. Because if I can compare myself to a city that, that I have the thing that to make a, a, a better resident, a better student, a better youth person, you know, they got these, these places where they can go to, you know. They got the, the places that can help them out and give them some information while entertaining them. So that excites me so much to be just like, man, what if, perhaps if we had this, this type of place, you know, this type of Chuck E. Cheese was, a, you know, a little bit millenniumized, you know, a little bit. So I, I'm here at the beach, and the sunset has 
uh, set. And the people, the beach goers are now uh, filing out, going to their respective uh, locations. We're here at uh, the Montage, which is a beautiful resort uh, here at the Montage. And we're enjoying all of the people as they they move uh, swiftly to their cars to leave. And the resort guests move swiftly to the jacuzzi. Uh, and the fire pit and the cigar smoking area. Um, and yes, yours truly will be over there soon. <laughs> so I wanted to bring someone in uh, if she has an opportunity because she is my sister, my sister from another mother. Rihanna, are you there? She. She is my little new grandson. Rihanna is with the baby, so she's probably not. The baby's probably crying. He is. He's a big boy, though. And he is not going to take just anything. He says, Colin says, it's my turn. I want some milk. So want to give a shout-out to Greg and Rihanna, one of the newborns from Colin. He is just the cutest little buddy. I can't wait for him to start talking. I'm going to interview him. So what's it like in heaven? <laughs> what do you remember? <laughs> so, um, yes, I think that it's important we have 10 minutes left with, with the NFL great, my godson, Mike Willie. Mike, uh, when you played for the Ravens, did you wish you were back with the Chargers? <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I always love Chargers. I, 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 I won't do that. I won't do that. I won't do that. <laughs> uh, the, the, Chargers, the Chargers are your, are your team. That was I your first NFL team. That's the one. Yeah, love I wish I would have stayed there forever. Right. And and they have a love for you. The owner has a love for you as well. Oh, and I'm we, still there. we were still there. So I love I'm them. still there. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. Uh, when young people, when one, young people, uh, I just, just seen a bear, and it happens to be a dog. He is a big one. Uh, <laughs> I just actually seen a bear. I thought it was a bear. I was like, wow. So, um, St. Bernard. Huh? Yeah. So, um, so when you plan for, when you're planning for the, the Chargers and you would, you would be interviewed or you would be asked the question, where are you from? When you said Thompson, did you smile? What did you think? Well, I mean, when you said, when they asked you, where are you from? And you said, Compton. How was, what was your feeling right then? Oh, it's always, it was just like, man, like, Compton, I'm, I'm, I'm serious with Benning. I'm serious. I'm out here to, I'm out here to do the job, sir. <laughs> I, yeah, you know what I, said, I was just smiling. I was just smiling. Love Yeah, you're smiling. That pride. That pride. And when you would, when you would catch that football that everyone 
didn't anticipate for you to catch. And you would run it in and you would make that touchdown. Did you believe that you were giving and doing something to bring pride to the city of Compton? First of all, they definitely anticipated, anticipated me catching that uh, ball for sure. They knew mm-hmm. I was catching that. <laughs> definitely anticipated it for sure. But besides that, I, but hey. besides them anticipating it, they knowing I'm going to catch it, I knew I was doing it for Compton. I knew Compton was on my back, and I knew that was pushing me to even be at that point in my life in the NFL. Hi. So, um, <laughs> I'm starting to trouble, but I like the way you said that. Um, I, I think that, um, yeah, I'm going to explore that. I guess I'm going to trouble. So, you're saying that every time they threw the ball to you, they anticipated you would catch it? Yeah, that's what I was known for, catching the pass. So, I know <laughs> I knew for sure I can catch it. And they knew for sure, too. That's why they got me there. They got me there to catch it and the block. So, so let me t- let me throw this at you then. Uh, let's see if you catch it. I'm throwing you the baton as it is your generation's time. And this is a great timing for you to emerge and give direction to all of those young millennials and young people who are now the greatest – number of a voting bill. And it's going to be important that we go to to Arizona also to encourage your alumni to vote for Biden. Arizona is going to be a swing state. And it's going to be important that we get, that we win uh, Arizona because of their their delegates and because of uh, the uh, college electoral votes. That matters. So I, I, you know, I have you on the show for two reasons. One, to say I'm so proud of you. Thank you for your service in the NFL. Thank you for representing the city of Compton and doing such an exemplary job. Two, thank you for coming back uh, and and representing uh, the NFL and excellence and showing other young people how and what to do to rise above. But now that that you have accepted the leadership position, we have to win this election. And we're seeing right now that the only way we're going to win it is we we go find those battleground states and go to them. When I uh, started the Republicans for Obama, uh, many of the people uh, not only were not, but did not support Barack Obama. They were in support of Hillary Clinton, and the Black Caucus was support of Hillary Clinton, and Obama was virtually uh, unknown. So uh, we know that it's important that we get out and campaign, and that's what we did. We got out and we campaigned, and we thought that Obama would make a very good president, and he was for, for eight years. He brought this country to a level of success, and we need to do that again. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to get out, we're going to campaign, and we're going to take the White House back and make it the people's house again. 
I think that the 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 just I had thought about this before though. People that are entitled and believe that white supremacy is a uh, uh, an acceptable organization structure, uh, religion, uh, belief pattern, then we have to we have to do something a little bit different. We have to show them that there's more of us than there is of them, and it's unacceptable behavior. And I was appalled that the commander in chief, uh, when given the opportunity to denounce white supremacy, he refused. He refused. And then he finally said, stand down, but, but, but stay tuned. Stand down, but be right there when I need you and I call you. Unfortunately, God stepped in. God stepped in, and I will not do what other people are doing and allow this president to campaign from a hospital bed or campaign from a hospital room and pretend that he's not campaigning. When you... Tap out and you raise a white flag and you say, I'm sick, then get better. But don't go on a four-minute rant about your campaign because if you're able to campaign, then we can tell the lies that you're telling even from your hospital bed. Um, though I wish him the best of health uh, so that he can walk out of the White House when he loses, uh, I do want to say that it is important that we do not allow ourselves to be drug into another uh, uh, scandal with an idiot who don't understand. Uh, you know, and when I say idiot, I mean an idiot. Look it up in the dictionary. Look it up and uh, Google it and see who you see. Idiots are just idiots, and they can't help themselves. So I want to make sure that I make it very clear. Though we are supposed to pray for our leaders, we are also supposed to pray that God will step in and bring the peace and calm. There are people after the debate on Tuesday threatening to have a war. The person who did this was one of the young organizations, the white, racist, superior superior organizations, allegedly, uh, who said that if Biden win, they were going to, uh, get out and they were going to Start a war I turned it over to the FBI And I said This is a terrorist threat This person needs to be arrested For inciting a riot Or a war And I just want you all To recognize That we have a fiduciary responsibility To fight for this country one country, one people, segregated, not one is better than the other. So uh, I want to work with you in Arizona. Uh, I think that in the next couple of months, we need to uh, actually next this month, we need to drive down and start building platforms for the uh, alumni and the people to uh, – Get out to vote for Biden. Would you take on that challenge? I definitely take on that challenge. I definitely take on that It's definitely needed. I'm going to give you a little moment to wrap up. Tell me what you're thinking and, um, you know, what what is it that you want to do in this country? How you doing? Thank you. I just want to just wrap up with just, you know, always just just, just love love your situation. Be be. 
you know, just be conscious of what you have and be, you know, just blessed to have what you have and blessed to have what you don't have. And as always, keep faith and always study and always, you know, stay focused on your mission. And that's what I do. I, I find out what I want to do and something that I, I like and I push forward. And, you know, all I'll say is, is, you know, be happy. Be thankful for the day. Be thankful for the hour with your family and be thankful for, you know, the moments because moments do do leave and and then they're gone. So besides that, you know, it's all about us connecting, you know, connecting and really getting better as a culture, as a people, and and learning what's what's next, what's needed. So, so it's gonna happen. You know, I keep my faith in God, and I just I just make sure I'm nice to everybody, and I make sure I run by the you know the structure that that makes sense. You know, you know, not backtracking backtracking at all. So all I would say is I love everybody and just love yourself really. And, and stay positive and stay focused on what you believe in and get out there and vote. Understand voting. Understand voting for laws, voting for different procedures and different, you know, different measures, anything, you know, just, just taking that next step to know what's going on. So yeah. even, yeah, there's so much, so much to talk about, but just. So, <laughs> well, Mike, I appreciate you coming and sharing an hour with us here at the Ombudsman Press Show. We're always glad to have you on. Uh, continue doing what you're doing. You're an amazing young man. And, you know, as your godfather, I will always be there for you. And I look forward to you uh, making a difference in, uh, in our city. God bless you. God bless you, too. You guys had it. Mike Willie. Alumni and a great young man, and a great, great young man. Let's give it to him for you. You know, you guys, I don't know if you've seen that commercial, but you should have seen it. It is the most amazing commercial. Uh, We are. Mike? Mike, we'll give you a call back. All right. Okay. Mike wants to continue the conversation. That's my godson. He thought the show was over. So in this hour, we're going to be dealing with a number of things that are taking place in Detroit. Um, you know, there are a lot of states uh, that, uh, that are um, most important. As you know, even though he doesn't get credit for it, uh, President Barack Obama uh, helped to save the auto industry. And not only did he save it, uh, he allowed it to save itself by encouraging them to not just take money to bail them out, but also to start making different cars that are more competitive with those foreign cars that people were buying. You've seen Chevy. You've seen Ford. You've seen, uh, uh, you know, them Cadillac put their money where their motors were. And now you drive around and you see American cars all over the, the road. And, you know, there's a lot of things that they won't give him credit for. But he was a great president as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I consider him uh, to be one of our greatest that we've had. So we're going to be talking to, uh, State Representative Joe Jones, uh, the youngest elected official in the United States uh, to be uh, to be elected to a state representative position. 
uh, right here on Blog Talk USA on my Ombudsman Press show. We talked to uh, my godson when he was running for city council. Uh, he decided at the young age of 18 that he wanted to be a city council member. And uh, they said, hey, you can't do that. You're too young. He says, I'm, I'm old enough to register. I'm old enough to vote. I'm old enough to be on the city council. He did win the city council seat. And after serving uh, on the city council, he ran for state representative, young age of 21, and he was elected. So I, I want to continue to uh, just push excellence with our young people. And uh, Rihanna, though she has baby duty, um, she has been right here with us as we continue to push young people towards excellence. And the show supports, endorses, and takes full responsibility for supporting young black men to become leaders and role models. So until he calls, I'm going to talk to uh, Bishop Zachary Barrett. Uh, Bishop, you have been working with a, uh, a, a organization for the, the feeding people. We're going to get into that in just a second. We're going to get into Representative Jones, how are you, sir? I know you're doing your public service right now, but we wanted to have you on. Um, I I know that you're your own base and you're doing your thing there, but I wanted to have you on because it's a very important election that's, that we're in right now. And if you could give a message to the millennials, because the millennials are the largest voting base in the United States right now, what would you tell them? Um, well, I definitely tell them right now, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people like to count us out and say that we don't vote and we don't participate. But I think even, you know, take myself, for example, I'm, I'm an example that we do. And it's many other people like me that's involved, you know, not only in politics or in the government in general, but, you know, in our business community uh, in our church. And I think that as millennials, uh, being one of the largest voting blocks, um, that's present right now and that's most likely going to be the large one in the future as well, I think it's critical for us to be involved because we can really um, determine how the election is going to fold out. Um, I know that many times we have our favorites, we have the people that we like, but um, at some point in time we have to realize that, you know, one of two people is going to become the president on November 3rd. Um, one of those people are much better than the other. And so we really want to get to work on November 4th and beyond um, and actually do some stuff that's equitable uh, for everyone, and especially for those in, you know, our communities, you know, black and brown communities. I think that it's critical for us to make sure that we're voting for the right person. Um, and and so I would definitely say get out and vote, but don't just stop there. Uh, young people, we have to pick up the torch. We have to pick up the mantle and keep going because we are the next generation um, that's coming up uh, in leadership, and, just, and so it's important for us to be involved I um, mean, all aspects of the community. So voting is just the first step, and um, that's something we definitely have to do. That's what I would tell young people. Well, I have started uh, the um, Republicans for Obama when he first ran, and in his second term, we we got behind him again, and uh, we were able to uh, get keep Colin Powell as an endorsement. We've now asked uh, and received support. Colin Powell will also. Uh, and has endorsed 
the Biden-Harris uh, campaign, it's important for Republicans to not sit back and think that because you are a Republican that you have to blindly support uh, the, the, the number 45. We have to make changes in this country that's best for this country. And I, I am one to say that, you know, prayer is great. As an archbishop, I would say prayer is great. We need prayer. But we also, God has given us the, the, the task to do work. Get out. Do. Get out. Not only do you get out and vote, but bring somebody and take somebody to the polls with you uh, or, or take them to the polls. Go out and knock on the doors and, and make sure that they realize that it's voting day. We have a lot to lose. Um, uh, nephew, we're talking about Detroit and the great works that, that President Barack Obama did when he worked with the auto industry. I got to see when I was back there you know, all of these beautiful American-made cars that's on the road. How do you feel about uh, people who say Barack Obama didn't do anything uh, and you're there in Detroit and you can see the difference? Well, I think it's just a blatant lie. Uh, a lot of people say they didn't do anything, but they they sort of realize that a lot of times, uh, as the president or as anybody in office, um, when you first get in, you have to undo or repair a lot of the previous you know administration or the previous few administrations have done. And so a lot of times you don't reap the benefits really of people being in office, especially our effective leaders, until after they're gone. Um, but I think, you know, like you said, even while he was in office, I mean, we've seen a bailout in Michigan of the auto industry, something that they needed. Um, we've seen him, you know, not just from a policy and a legislative standpoint, but just him being the first black president, um, him being a motivator, uh, a figure of inspiration, uh, showing what it means to have a family and to be unsullied and not to have propaganda and scandals floating around um, to really show us you know, the prestige of the office. I think that Barack Obama did so much from being a man to being the president. And so anybody that says he didn't do anything, I think it's just, a, you know, blatant disregard uh, for everything that he did. Well, I love you. You, you are the best. You know, um, when, I, when, I look at, when I look at you, and it seems that you have um, – You've been a public official and a voice for the people, not just one people, but for the people. And you you were able to get advice from Dick Gregory, not only on the show, but with this man, he gave himself to the world. When you think back now, when you were a young man running, and you said, well, there are people who are saying that you were too young. What was his response to you, Dick Gregory's response to you? Well, you say, I mean, uh, him and uh, other ones said, keep on running. It's not about, okay. uh, you know, it ain't about what other people think. That's right. And we, and we want you to keep running. And we look forward to you representing us for many, many years to come. I know that you're right now on base, and I'm going to let you go. Uh, is there anything that you want to tell the audience before you leave? Well, I just want to say that, you know, 
I would just say, you know, find a way to get involved. I think we all have a role to play. Um, and so, like I said, voting is the first step, but we have to look at how do we sustain engagement afterwards. And so I appreciate what you do all the time. Uh, you, you, you're you a connector. You're a resource. Uh, you're a voice. I think that many other people need to figure out how they can fit in in that fold so we can all play our part to really uh, move our communities forward. So appreciate you and love you as always. Uh, we love you too, nephew. God bless you. Call me if you need me. All right. Peace and love. Okay. You know, I never have called on that young man since he was elected, and he has not responded. I don't care where he is. He's with the, you know, he's a police officer. He is a, a National Guardsman. He is, well, the uh, Army Reserve. Uh, he is also a um, elected state official, and he wears a lot of hats. But when I need him, he's there. And that's the kind of nephew that, you know, I just can't, I can't, I can't ask for anything more. And I'm so glad to be able to take my baton and give it to young people and let them run. It's their turn. What is it that makes old people think that you want, we, they need you and we need you to continue? When I was a young man, I went to Robert Henning, the mayor of, Linwood, and I said to him, how can you continue to say that you're speaking for me and you haven't asked me what I need? He made me his deputy mayor at 16 years old. Now, I would be remiss, as he want, to think that I represent young juveniles. We have to know when enough is enough. Step your old Tired, self down, and let the young generation take. They're the ones that's going to have to pay the bills for all these damn stimulus uh, uh, checks that you're giving yourself. I mean, you're giving the people. <laughs> and if you won't step down, then God will help you. God will help you step down. Arrogance in a fool shall find his hell. I, 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 I cannot believe that we are going to continue to act as though we don't know what's going on. And I am I am just sad that we have set up and pretended as if we did not let a damn fool into the White House. A clown. Where if you elect a clown, expect a circus. And that's what we have. That's what we have. A circus. Orange face and all. And, you know, people say, well, don't you have sympathy? Don't you have – he's the president of the United States. You have not acted like the president of the United States. I taught my – my mother taught me a long time ago, you want some respect, then be respectful. You can't call people fat, ugly, and everything that you want to call and, and play hands like you cripple and do all the things that you do and then think that somebody's going to respect the office. You have not respected the office, so there's no respect due to that office. You push your wife. Uh, out of the way, you take the umbrella, let her stand in the rain. You go and you push other dignitaries out of the way and mash it. You, you, you give uh, a Jack in the Box and Burger King and, uh, <laughs> and McDonald's at the White House. You're just ignorant. And now that you have contracted something that you said was a hoax, what am I supposed to do? 
And then when you start campaigning from the hospital, what am I supposed to do? I'm going to tell people you better keep on praying that God continue to intervene. Speaking of God, Reverend Barrett, uh, we started talking to you a little bit about your uh, donating your time to feed the homeless and the those individuals in need uh, here in Orange County and Irvine. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what you were able to do uh, with the uh, food pantry there in Irvine? Okay, brother. Thank you, Bishop L.J. Gillery, for the opportunity to stand before you and your people and your guests. Um, I'm at Cross Lines Community Church in Laguna, and uh, we hand out food uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sundays uh, from 10 a.m. to 12 uh, noon, and we're handing out about uh, 50 pounds of food. We are being a blessing to the community. We're handing eggs milk, cheese, uh, vegetables, fresh vegetables, oranges, apples, melons. This is one of the best things that ever happened to me, to see the people's faces, Bishop, to receive all the food that we're getting. We're getting food from Disneyland, water, and different snacks. And I really am a blessed to be a part of Cross Lines Pantry to hand out food to the community. Uh, you started this with, uh, with us. Long, long before you started with them, and you've been giving uh, back and doing things in the city of Compton where you grew up, uh, and uh, you, you. So this is not new to you. No. You were able to go down there and give, show them how it's done. Hello. You know. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you also uh, was obedient. I want to talk about the, that obedience uh, when COVID nineteen hit. You and your uh, senior pastor took your church online because you didn't want to infect the old, the older senior citizens. Um, what uh, actually did you think that was important? Yes, we have older parishioners in our in our church right now. Uh huh. And they are the breadwinners. They're the reason why the church doors are open because of their tight pain. So we had to say, okay, we've got to go online. Just watch us on Facebook because we need you here. Right. And uh, I'm so blessed to be a part of that uh, at Issa Sanders. I think that Facebook is a great way to get a message out every Sunday morning for free. Right. Most people do not have the equipment to set up like Crossline to shoot a real video. So we can take our phone and have our church services right online. So it's, it's, the, best, it's, it's the best thing that God has ever done for us. Wow. Well, I thank you. Uh, I, I, just, I just think that it's important for people to recognize that there were people that were obedient and they didn't go and put people in danger by – the hoax, uh, COVID hoax. Uh, you want to tell a little bit about Crossline? Yeah, I wanted to leave an address. So if there's anybody hungry, if you know somebody that is hungry, to stop by. The address is uh, 23331 Moulton Parkway, Laguna Hills, 92653. And if you want to reach somebody there, you can reach them at 949 
916-926-0250. Thank you, Bishop. Okay. You know, I, I want you all to know, because I'm going, I'm going somewhere with this. In a couple of minutes, we're going to have um, my brother on uh, uh, online, also from Detroit. And it's a special guest uh, because most most people don't get to hear from the source. You know, my nephew, I call him my nephew, uh, Jewel Jones, uh, his dad and I became brothers. And I was invited to uh, a family uh, reunion, dinner, and I got to meet the other siblings. And they accepted me as their brother. And I can tell you, uh, the loss of my dad, having uh, my brother to send me text messages of, of encouragement every single morning, and to to encourage me to uh you know be strong uh and uh to thank me for the work that I was doing and to remind me that it's not over you know you got to get past this and keep moving forward we all need that encouragement so uh i i said all that to say this if we allow our emotions to step in which I think which this is what the White House is doing now, um, you know, they recognize that they're losing. They're losing. So all of a sudden, sympathy is supposed to be given because people contracted COVID. We've lost almost 400,000 people that are dead. 400,000. Almost a half a million people. And we're saying, well, the numbers are not right because anybody that, well, if you had a pre-existing uh, uh, condition and you caught COVID, what killed you? I mean, I'm not going to argue with people, but the fact is, is that COVID killed a, lot, a number of Americans because some arrogant, uh, 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 oh, I can not say it. I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. Retard was in office that, you know, suspended all of the people that were, 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 were supposed to protect Americans. And up until recently, I think until he received his, his, his test back, after he took it three or four times because he didn't believe him, uh, he still refused, even going to the hospital, to relinquish the power of the White House as president. Commander-in-Chief. You don't even trust your own vice president. So now you're laying up in the bed, and they're asking, does he have any oxygen? I wanted to know, does he have any pain medication? I wanted to know if, if he had any medication that would alter his mind, what little bit what is there. Because if he's taking anything for pain or that is a mind-altering drug, while they kept asking about the oxygen, how do you have control over our nukes? See, the question sometimes, I want to I ask the right question, because we know this arrogant uh, uh, clown would not have even went to the hospital if they wouldn't have made him go. So those are the things that I want to know. <laughs> I have my brother, uh, Brother Jones. How are you? Absolutely wonderful, sir. Uh, you know, sometimes I just need that encouragement that you sent to me. I was just telling my listeners a little while ago, you know, um, 
you know, you send those text messages of encouragement just when I need them. And right now, I need America to listen to your encouragement because we're being played. And, 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 and this man is sitting here refusing to give up the power of the presidency while he's in the hospital. And they're asking about oxygen. And I'm saying to myself, I want to know if he's on any pain medication. Is he on any uh, uh, sedatives to sleep? If you are, how do you have the control of the nukes? Why didn't he give the power to the vice president? I am so concerned that the right questions are not being asked. He's in a hospital. How do you go to the hospital and not allow the vice president to step in and become the commander-in-chief? There's a lot of ego going on there, sir. Yes. This is this is just amazing. So enlighten us on, 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 on what, 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 what inspiration can you give us to make us say things are going to be all right? Well, sir, let me see. We have suffered about 473 years of unfair and unequal treatment, and we're still standing. We have suffered uh, all type of atrocities and tragedies and sins against man, and we still stand. I mean, uh, if it wasn't for the God that we serve, I don't know what what we would be doing and where we would be at and who we would be. But one thing is for sure. Um, those who do serve that true and living God, uh, we're going to be in the midst of confusion. Uh, but we're still going to have a, a beautiful time. We're going to be very peaceful. We're going to be calm. Because even in the midst of confusion, as long as we know who has us in his hand, we'll always be all right. You know, it's, Bishop, it's times like this. Um, that a lot of people who who don't have a calm spirit or peaceful spirit within themselves will react to anything. Um, but I've found in my lifetime, and I've found in the lifetime of others that came before me, that having a having something calm uh, or, or tranquil or peaceful or steady, uh, it's like having that grandmother uh, that we all had that would always make sure that we was okay, make sure that everything was all right. And a time like this, it's not a time for us to be uh, confused or misguided or, or unsure. But if anything, this is a time for us to be sure, to be sure of who our God is and, and, and who has us, to be sure of our faith and our belief in the things that have brought us through uh, will bring us through again. Kind of This kind of reminds me of the times of the plagues in Egypt. Even though I wasn't there, I read about it. And if the stories hold the truth in them, we will be okay. We will be all right. Uh, there's always uh, darkest days uh, before the sun shines again. And as surely as the sun has always came up, we're going to still come up. Bishop, if anybody can inspire, it's you. Well, brother, we, 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 they say that men... As men, we sharpen one another like steel sharpens steel. And, you know, I was honest with my audience. You know, you somehow knew 
when those moments were that I needed to hear from you. And I told Joe, I said, you know, uh, nephew, ever since I met your your dad, you're really my nephew. You was my godson. You was my you was my nephew. But now, I mean, there, there's always people that we meet that are surrogate brothers or sisters or cousins or just kinfolk. But when I met you and you were talking about those things that I was told about with Dick Gregory and with Robert Henning, the mayor of Lindenwood, first black mayor of Lindenwood, and you were talking about economics, probably the least talked about uh, subject in our black communities. And I listened to you uh, intensely, and you had a plan. And that, that, that's something that most leaders don't have. And most people that are true leaders don't call themselves leaders. Most leaders are chosen by the people because you have the foresight and the fortitude to lead us. Unfortunately, in our communities, our leaders are chosen for us. They're not for us. They're not by us. They're not from us. They're just placed there. And we walk around in a in a circle like 40 years with Moses. And I, and I, you know, and I, and I, I can't do this. I'm tired. My legs are tired. I can't march. I can't protest. I can't do any of that anymore. I can bring you some water, and I can tell you that, listen, now it's time for us. I was telling someone else then, I said, to go to the jails and bail out these young kids who are getting themselves arrested fighting for justice. Now is the time for us to pay for the attorneys to help these kids that are doing what we can't do and won't do, like burn down police stations. Not that I will ever advocate violence, but I will say I understand. And since you are in that situation, let me help you. The same way when a racist, flagitious mercenary gunned down an unarmed black kid or a pedophile uh, 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 track down a, a young Trayvon Martin and kill him in cold blood and it, it is able to raise money on GoFundMe for defense when they know in their heart and soul this, this man tracked down this kid. We should have not GoFundMe but people to come forward and say hey this is what we're supposed to do. Being a lifetime member of the NAACP, they asked me, how, Bishop, can we get the uh, young Black Lives Matter uh, participants to acknowledge us and let us be their uh, sounding board? And to, I said, bail them out of jail. Show up in court and represent them with your attorney." I don't expect for young people to respect me or to know what I did 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 days ago. If when he's in that trouble, right then and there, when he's gaffled up by the police, I'm not there to help him. No, I don't want a war but with the police and with the people. My nephew's a police. My brother is a police. I have Mason brothers that are police. No, it's not a war between the police and the people. It's a war between evil 
and good. But when our young people get caught up, we have to be there to step in and intervene. Mm-hmm. And I, I, need, I need for you, as my brother, to help form so that you can tell our people about economics. <clears throat> I thought about you today. Did you know that California was the first state to actually pass and have the governor to sign for reparations? Oh, yeah, I've heard about it. And, yeah, and I said to myself, well, I guess my brother's going to be flying down here because I'm going to tell the <laughs> Negroes, Negroes in Sacramento before y'all have a meeting about any damn thing. We need to have people who know about economics to discuss this. Because if you do with this, as you did with that stimulus money, we're going to have a whole bunch of money just going right back into the system, and the people are not going to even be able to, 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 to even enjoy it. We need to teach our people about economics. Talk about the importance of that and why you've been doing it for so many years. Well, sir, the thing about the economics is that um, – if I come to understand basic economics, it seems like a, a word of mystery because uh, in elementary school and junior high and high school, uh, we're not taught anything to deal with economics. Uh, the, what we are taught is a baseline strategy to take us from um, a structured learning environment into a structured job environment. And if we bypass the structured job job environment, we go from a structured um free learning period to a structured paid learning period, which is college. And from college, we are indoctrinated into the understanding that we should uh, work for someone or work for a company or a career most of our lives and um, be very submissive to what somebody will say they will, that what our worth is. If somebody says you worth $15 an hour and, uh, and you buy into that, that's what you're worth. And your mind is already set. They don't have to capture your mind. I mean, it's captured itself. Uh, but what I find about the economics is that we lack um, generational wisdom. It's not the generational wealth, as I keep hearing folks writing and speaking about, but it's the generational wisdom, the common sense, uh, the, the courtesy, the, the mannerism, the understanding of where we came from. Without understanding our history, um, as you said earlier, if they gave each family or each black household a uh, million dollars today in the year 2020, by the year 2022, uh, 90% of them will be broke again. So it's not a problem for them to give out the money. Uh, they don't want to acknowledge the fact to do so, but to give out the money, they know that they have it back within their reef, within their grasp. They will own it because the, the, the 1%, richest 1% in America has increased their net worth by 40% in the last three years. And that's astounding. That's that's just freaking ridiculous. And yeah. and the bot and, and the bottom the bottom ten percent, which happens to be uh if you look at America, America the minority population for African Americans or blacks or whatever you want to call us this week is approximately somewhere between eleven and thirteen percent. Depends on who's counting. Well the bottom ten percent of the economic scale encompasses uh, more than half of that black populace in America. And the reason being, not only did we not, not only did we get held back in the race, but somebody put weights on our ankles and chains on our backs 
And then they strapped our minds with thoughts that didn't make any sense. I mean, we are enamored with, with pro athletes. We are enamored with celebrities. Um, our, our mind is drawn in about music or, or rap, and I'm not kicking rap. Rap is a is a very old art form, uh, a music uh, type of understanding that goes back, uh, to my understanding, at least 80 years. And it, it's, a, it's a true art form. I'm not knocking it. What I am knocking is the ability to, for us to not move forward on the things that we need as a people. Um, as I said before, I'm not looking at generational wealth. I'm looking at generational wisdom. The wisdom that my grandmothers had, the wisdom that my my grandfathers had, the wisdom that their fathers had, the wisdom that my uncles had, that wisdom held true in a time when I was a child. I mean, I came up in in the in the early fifties and the late sixties um, at a time when America was changing from a super segregated state to what was known as a more of a free and uninhibited state for. Blacks have started experiencing things that uh, we saw other folks having. But we also lost ourselves mentally at that point trying to integrate into a society that did not want us. Uh, between 1910 and 1968, uh, black Americans uh, enjoyed some, matter of fact, they enjoyed their greatest economic uh, rebirth that America had for them. Uh, since that period of time, we have studied uh, regressed and regressed. And of course, as you say now, where are we at? Um, as Maya Angelou would say, again, I rise. But in this case, we didn't. Um, it's like it, we cry about the white man having this foot on our neck and, and he's on our back. But in reality, he's not there. Why would he bother with you when you pose him no threat? The only time that the, the Caucasian man points his interest at uh, African-American or black man is when he poses an economic threat to him. Uh, what do they care about uh, civil rights? I mean, damn, as black people, we, we don't even really have the right to vote. We have to get it approved every 25 years. Uh, not only that, if it wasn't for an amendment to the Constitution, uh, damn, we still couldn't vote. But you get any other people that can inhabit or visit this country, and once they become this so-called citizen, they are automatically included for a, a, a right to vote. I, I went a little off track on that because the right to vote is tied in with our economic ability. Um, our right to vote is tied in with us choosing individuals that we think will be best suited for our, to take care of our overall needs as citizens in, in the Republic of the United States of America. But if we don't vote, and this is a voting season, if we don't vote, we have no say-so in what happens to us, whether it's economically according to the government, whether it's socially according to the government, or whether it's just silverly according to the government, as in silver rights. Uh, what a day. What a day. You think that the wealthy the Oprah Winfrey's, the LeBron James, the Tyler Perry's, the Bob Johnson's, do you think that they give a false uh, illusion of where we are as a people? Well, when you take, when you take a microcosm, uh, you know, if we took a sample of 100 people, 
which is, I mean, it basically let's say we got a, the hundred wealthiest Black Americans um, in America. Their wealth means nothing um, to the bottom ten percent of the wealthy Caucasians in America. And what I'm saying is, is you said a false hope. If if we, you know, I had I had an old an old individual that was a veteran. He was about 96 years old last year. He told me that his idea of success is to leave this earth using up all of his wealth that he could by giving it back. And and I took from that a thought that it's not how much we accumulate in life, but it's what we do for one another. And that's that's totally unselfish there. And I've always been a person that, that has advocated being selfish because if you can't do for yourself, you can't do the very best for yourself. It is almost impossible to do the best for someone else. And when you talk about Oprah Winfrey and Tyler Perry and LeBron, you know, together they could do something. But at the same time, I think that they also have an inhibited fear that if they stretched out too far, they would lose what they have. Remember something. Each, each one of those that you named is actually an entertainer. You know, we're not in Rome and we're not gladiators, but in the old Southern times, the slaves was used as entertainment for the Caucasians. That was their 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 um, their sport mechanism. And entertainment is a sport. Um, athletics is a sport. Uh, the celebrities doing their thing is a sport because we love to be entertained as a people. And that not only goes for the Caucasians, but us, us, us black individuals love entertainment. We spend the majority of our money on entertainment, whether that is a car, whether that is going out to eat, whether that is getting our, 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 our body taken care of, whether that's, a, that, that's for the hair or the nails or, or even a bling on our wrist, a $40,000 or $70,000 Rolex, a sixty to $110,000 Mercedes Benz or the Range Rover truck, we spend enormous amount of capital just so somebody else can see what we want them to see us look like. And if I flip the script on that and we contribute to the money that we actually make for a meaningful cause to bring our nation, our nationhood back together, you know, blacks as a people in this country, we are all relative to one another because at the end of the day, we have no one but ourselves. No one's riding in on the white horse to save you or me. And damn it, if it was in my neighborhood, it might not be a white horse anyway. But no one's coming to save us. So back to that, back to that, um, that, that cumulative uh, piece of common sense, the cumulative sense of generational wisdom. The wisdom tells me, and the wisdom that I've gained is from folks that came before me, folks that have come with me, folks that I've listened to, folks I've trained under. We are our savior, but we are also our worst enemy. Now, that being known, we can't, he, he who tries to serve two masters, well, that doesn't work very well, and we fail at both. So we have to come to a point in life to make a choice, whether we want to die making this happen, Making making it better for each and every one that looks like us, or whether we just want to exist in this economy, in this country, in this state, in a point of existence that does not matter. Because at the end of the day, if I happen to die today, 
the question that I want folks to ask is, did I matter? Not what did I do, but did I matter to someone else? And it's a, it's a very it's a very strong question, but I need to I need to have that asked. And all your audience out there should ask the question: Did I matter to someone else? I know you matter because you matter in my life. And if you have said to me that you know I matter, then I need to let you know that times we all need to be supported. And I never forget one of my mentors telling me, he said, he said, uh, there's a big difference in a audience and supporters. Never get them confused. <laughs> Anybody, you know, you know and, he, and he told me exactly what you just said about, you know, people wanting to be entertained. And he said, people go as an audience to be entertained. Okay? Just because they go and watch comedians perform, does not mean that they give a damn about those comedians. <clears throat> so when you start thinking your audience are your supporters, uh, when you start thinking your audience are your supporters, then you lose track on reality. <clears throat> when you're out there and something happens, that's the first thing that 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 happens uh, is you realize you're alone. <laughs> and uh, everybody else didn't sky it up. In fact, even some family members didn't sky it up, you know, and you're looking to try to address whatever issues or concerns they are, and you don't have nobody there except for those individuals who should have been right there next to you the whole time because they're your supporters. And mm-hmm. you mentioned something about our, our um, generation wealth and our wealth and then it going back. I watch in my lifetime many people have the same fate as Joe Lewis, Whoa. where you made money and then they took it back. M- many people didn't realize that Joe Lewis had fought and won championship purses and decided that he would listen to an advisor to buy the United States Navy ships because they were in a war. And he bought the ships. And then the IRS came and told him, well, you, the ships, or you donated the ships, but you didn't pay your taxes on the purses. I don't have a purse. I just gave all my money to the United States Navy to buy a ship. Well, you should have paid your taxes first. That's the kind of, I mean, that's, that's the things that occurred that is, you want to say you pardon somebody. You want to say that you 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 get fix that, fix mm. that, fix the fact that every time we have. And I'm not saying I'm going to say this on on air, and I you know I I know a lot of people that know that you know I had my words with Bill Cosby, mm. and my words were when he made the statement that black fathers embarrass him. And I saw him in, uh, right after Katrina, and I publicly told him, you know, while on stage, I leaned over and I told him, you know, that, was, that, that, that remark that you made, you know, made me think of you not like I used to. I used to look up to you. And 
you know, that was that was really bad. And he says, well, it's the truth. I said, well, then you're a piece of shit. He says, what? I said, you're a piece of shit. So Jesse Jackson looked at me, and he said, what did you just say? I said, he's a piece of shit. Because if he says that, first of all, I'm a black dad. Number right. two, if I embarrass you, come tell me. Don't go and tell the white media at one of your events with a bunch of white people that black dads embarrass you. Because you could tell me anything. You could pull my, you can call me. You can pull my shirt. You can say Bishop. At any time, as my brother, you could tell me anything, and we could discuss it. But if you're not looking at me and you're talking to someone else about me, then I have a problem with that. So later on, when he went from America's dad to being a prisoner. Because he forgot the one thing that every black young man in the neighborhood knows. And if he grew up in Philadelphia, I know he knew. Shut up. Where is my lawyer? I have nothing to say. Where is my lawyer? But he thought that his privilege would allow him to tell his story and be released. Anybody that grew up in the hood knows whatever you say can and will be used against you. So now he's half blind, half crippled, and he's been locked up. And his whole legacy has been destroyed. However, I said that because of what you said. Did you make a difference? Yes, Bill Cosby made a difference. He came along at a time when I and others uh, only believed that we, were, we could be shit. And he showed us a black family that we had not seen you know, my parents uh, didn't have the money that he and, and his television wife had. But he showed us that they were doctors and lawyers that were married, and they had families, and, 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 and they had family issues. And they, he brought the black American family to a whole different level, which the world had not seen that. So for that, I say he made a difference. I can also say that he was used to prove that you can never get too high and mighty and no matter what. If they want to bring you down, they will bring you down. And you have to stay on your P's and Q's and have people around you to protect you even when you sleep. I'll digress, brother. What do you think? Well, that's when you brought up the when you brought back up about Oprah and LeBron and Tyler, you know, I, I, I'm not ignorant to the fact that when you mess with the money of the elite that rules this country, and I'm talking about the folks that I don't even know. I'm talking about folks that you will never hear the name of. I'm talking about families that you have no clue of. When you mess with their money, they bring you down. And, and as a black man or a black individual, there's many ways to drop us. I mean, the most obvious public humiliation, uh, whether that be as to accuse you of a crime or to, to take your, uh, your belongings or your, to destroy your family. In my case, my, my weakness, which is also my strength, is my family. And in doing so, when – understand something, if the, if the individuals that we're dealing with, will destroy their own family. 
Uh, what do you think they'll do to yours? I mean, for them to get ahead in life, they have openly destroyed their own, their own family, their own siblings, their own, their own children. So, what would give us the inclination in our mind that we are above this? And as what happened in Bill Cosby's case, uh, I read what was in the written in the media and what and what was brought out. I noticed what was broadcast, but it, it's tragic what happened to him. Uh, and as you said, if somebody wants us. They will get us. Gotta, only if they don't get you in life, they get you in death. So as I said before, when people pass through my life, or I pass through theirs, I have to ask myself: It's not a coincidence with anybody that I meet in life, with anybody that I interact with. It's no coincidences. I do not believe in my life there's a coincidence. I believe there is a purpose. There is a reason. Um, there is something uh, godly about each and every interaction we have in life. But if we never look for it, we'll never understand it. We'll never see it coming. Um, just like the passing of time. A lot of us, we talk, I hear folks talk about, I can't wait for Friday to get here. Or, or, or damn, I'm living for the weekend. Or, or this is the bird flies in the middle of the week or whatever, but time is a time is something that it, we can't get any more of it. Time is to me is precious because each day that I grow older, each day that I'm still able to continue to live, I look back on my life and I ask myself many times, did I matter? Uh, did I matter? To, who, who did I matter to? Uh, what have I done that could possibly enhance or, or, or make better this world or, or the people that's in it or the people that I touch? And, and it comes to a point, it's not about, it's not, at the end of the day, it's not so much about me, but it's about we. It's about us. Because I, I, I can't function here by myself. I mean, I can only do so much until I'm tired of myself. But the we part, you, um, your family, uh, the people that I know, my relatives, my friends, ones that I'm yet to meet, that is what makes my life not only meaningful, it's not only makes it worth living, but it makes me look forward to the days and to the times that's coming. Not not trying to rush through my time and through my day, but just to sit there and enjoy the moment, the sun that come up or or the moon in the sky, or even watching the leaves and the trees and the branches moving. Just to watch little children playing and making noise and fussing. These are the enjoyable moments that right now in this COVID-19 time, we lose focus of everything because we can't get quiet. We can't get still. We can't stop and hear our own mind. I don't want to get all... Uh, as my boy should say, we don't want to get all spiritual and uh, all woohoo illness, but we're at a time right now where in, it's almost as though God has put us on a reset. So we we're running. I mean, it seems the whole world was headed to hell in a handbasket. Seems like we've been given another chance just to stop and look and listen and then decide our next move. 
before it was just Monday, came Tuesday, and then Tuesday came Wednesday, Wednesday came Thursday, and then a week later, same thing, and a week after that. But now we have a chance. We have a chance. And Bishop, you're a great leader. Well, I don't know about that. I know one thing. I'm so glad to have a support system. Uh, as you were talking, I was just thanking God. A support system, which include you and brothers like you around this country that I've met. And, I, you know, when I used to go to the 25 most dangerous cities of America, and I met people that are like us. And the the topic was always, you know, our intellectual side and uh, in, in keeping and in, in, uh, copyrighting our intellectual properties. But the next question was always our economics. And I, I hope that once uh, I, I talked to uh, Dr. Shirley Weber down there in uh, San Diego this weekend, that I'm able to get you a position as a, a consultant with this 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 um, uh, bill that they just passed and the governor signed for reparations, because I, I, I I'm I'm scared of them. Even, I don't know how they would even come uh, to a number when they say reparations. Uh, if you were born in the state of California, they couldn't you know, come I, up. They couldn't. They couldn't figure out a number. I mean, if, 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 they, gave us, if they gave us one percent of what they what was written before back in the 1600s, this country would be bankrupt. Not that it ain't bankrupt anyway. So the, it's, it's no number that they could give you for the pain and suffering that was caused, folks, our folks before us, and still the systemic uh, effects that are occurring and ongoing. There's no number they could, but we'll take it anyway. Yeah. So, so, so you know, a lot of people that um, uh, uh, a lot of people that are discussing this right now, they're saying that this is just a scam. It's election time. Let's throw this deal together and do another study. And no, Cal- no, California. Cal- when, when your governor in California put signed his name to that thing. I personally don't view it as a scam. This has been California is a very is, is matter of fact the way California goes is the way America goes. Okay, in California, uh, the initiatives that they put out there, uh, to me, they're somewhat psychotic sometimes. But hell, you, you got to try. Somebody's got to try. So California is actually a message that we need you because if I tell you, brother, I was so ashamed. I feel like uh, James Baldwin. I've never been more ashamed of our people filling out that EDD stimulus money. Negroes getting four, five, seven cards for uh, yeah. small business uh, 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 that never owned a business, let alone had a, a DVA in their name, and they going to jail. I mean, yeah, I mean, those are federal. Those are federal problems. And, and the mailman was delivering these cards to these houses. The mailman start holding the cards back, saying, "I know that these people don't live here." I, I, you know, delivering five to seven cards to one address, and and some even more than that. And then the the, I, I, Lord bless my lips, n words because that's what I want to call them. Went down <laughs> to Beverly Hills. Went down to Beverly Hills to chase. 
not in line. They're in line because you, you, you could take $1,000 a day off the card, okay? The right. card was up to $20,000, okay? And they could take $1,000 off. They have in seven or eight cards. They're at the same version tail. They're sticking these different cards and getting $1,000. So the customers of the Chase Bank, they're in line too. And they're saying, what is this? What, what is what are you thinking what the hell? So they go outside and tell the people in the bank, well, damn, I've been a, <coughs> a customer of yours. So I just went I'm down here shopping, trying to get, I don't want to come and wait in the line inside the bank. <laughs> you got these, these N-words out here in the line, like it's, you guys are giving them free money. And they had to explain to them, well, no, they're down here and you know, they, they, you know, well, ain't no way in the world they got that many cars for one thing. How many businesses they got? So, the the bank man he comes out, he tells the people, he says, well, you know, you can use the ATM, but please be courteous enough to let our customers. And they got the cursing and next thing you know, they had the the uh, Treasury Department, the IRS, the yeah. the the, the uh, mail uh, inspectors, all down there, gaffled up eighty eight of these folks. In their possession, brother, they had hundreds of cards. Well, let me help you out with something. Uh, I know, I know of operations where, and I can say this openly because it, it can't be traced back, and I wouldn't tell anyway. But there has been there has been groups and individuals that that perpetrated this type of transaction, not just in California but in 38 states at the same time. So right. what you're saying about seven people or 10 people or 50, 20 cards on one individual in California, think of that multiplied by 30 plus. Okay. And, and let's go a little deeper. Let's go a little deeper. Anytime that our United States government can print $3.3 trillion, which was imaginary money that right. did not exist the day before, and give it away. And give it away now. Three point three trillion dollars given away. That means that Trump stole six. Well, let's let's go a little deeper. If, <laughs> That's if, what they, if they will, if they will let you have a uh, hundred and fifty thousand dollars for your small business, your black right. small business, right. I want you to think about that. Somebody that doesn't look like you is getting one point five million dollars, fifteen million dollars, and a hundred and fifty million dollars for their small business. That's exactly what I was trying to tell them. I said, listen, they're they giving y'all this money to keep you quiet. Keep you quiet while they steal. I feel a Nixon thing going on already. See, Nixon was a thief. And Nixon said, I don't mind stealing a little bit as long as I give a little <laughs> bit to the people. If I steal, this is what the man said. He said, there's going to be a car in every driveway, every garage, a chicken in every pot. Don't worry about what I steal. You're going to get some, too. Now, that's what Nixon said. Nixon said that. Oh, they've been stealing. They've been stealing. stealing. I'm going to steal. He said, but I'm not going to rob the bank broke. He said, but why? don't worry about me stealing because you're going to have some, too. This crook that we got in office now, they didn't got away with $6 trillion. They took $3 trillion and threw it around, fired the person and the committee that was supposed to oversight, and yeah. now he didn't the coronavirus <laughs> ain't up in the bed. <laughs> I'm saying, now you know that for, now you know 
if $438 million is due in March mm-hmm. when he's out of office and he ain't going to be able to pay the people back. Now, wait a minute. Wait a well, minute. Well, I'm sure he made that $467 million by now. I'm sure he did, too, with his good uh, $750 taxpayer himself. You know, <laughs> I know that there's some people that want to say, oh, you should say, if he's sick, God bless his soul. I hope he's able to withstand. You know, maybe this is all uh, a hoax, too. Maybe this is a hoax so that when he go to jail, he won't be able to be, be in jail. He, he want to stay at home with, a, with an ankle bracelet. Anyway, brother, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do your closing uh, before we, we go off the air. And I want to thank you for being on the show. Well, sir, the only thing that I can, uh, the only two things I can do on the closing, uh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, thank you, listeners. And uh, I hope you continue on with the progress and the things that you see fit, uh, that the folks that you have, that you have a, uh, the ability to, to help or assist that they need. Now, something that you just spoke on earlier in the conversation, um, before this year ends, we're going to launch a um, economic, I guess you can call it a national uh, financial literacy. I mean, those names have been tossed, but bottom line is we're, we're going to launch a um, we're going to launch a site to explain how money is made and how uh, what is money actually uh, and how it's made, how it is saved, how it is increased, how it is multiplied. We're going to basically tell everything that we know about money. And believe me, hell, it's a lot, and we got a lot more to tell. We just hope we can live long enough to tell enough that folks can actually take the information and put it in action. By the way, when we tell you about it, we're going to give you action steps. One, two, three, four, A, B, C, walk through it. So you can happen. You can see the reality of what we're speaking about. Count me in. Um, Brother, I will be... uh, either coming to Detroit to see, sit down with you. Uh, I have decided that I was not going to uh, be in Compton. Uh, mm-hmm. I told uh, my godsons that are there, it's yours. I'm going to be selling my properties in, in Texas. And uh, I think it's time for me to live a little and do some of the things that I know I need to do on the national and international stage. Um there's so much more than where you was born and raised. And, you know, I've never been the type of feel like I have to die in the same place that I was born. So um, I, I will be talking to you uh, about a serious move. I know that there's some buildings down there. And um, so uh, we will be talking very soon. Love you, and I appreciate you being on the show. Love back to you, sir. All right. Enjoy. Enjoy. Take care. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to the Ombudsman Press Show. I'm your host, Bishop L.J. Guillory, every Saturday from 6 to 9. And I tell you, Rihanna, thank you very much. Bring us home. The homeless is still homeless, the poor is still poor, yet we find billions of dollars. 
upon senseless war And yes, we're fighting terrorism What about the quiet racism Dividing among ourselves Somebody's crying for help Heaven is listening Heaven is watching Heaven knows And they may not play this on the radio Cause the devil don't want you to know 